Welcome to Aaron Menke's Cabinet of Curiosities, a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild. Our world is full of the unexplainable. And if history is an open book, all of these amazing tales are right there on display, just waiting for us to explore. Welcome to the Cabinet of Curiosities. An untested hypothesis remains just that, a hypothesis. In order to be proven right or wrong, it must be subjected to experimentation. Scientists test their hypotheses all the time. It's how we make advancements in things like medicine, physics, and other scientific disciplines. But sometimes the people looking to advance civilization aren't scientists at all. They're just regular people seeking a better life. And all they want is to see if their theories are true. That such a life is out there somewhere, even if they have to build it for themselves. It all started with one man, Etienne Cabet, a French legal scholar born in 1788. But despite his education in law, Cabet had little regard for its strict black and white rhetoric. He took a keen interest in politics and eventually moved to Paris, seeking out secret revolutionary organizations looking to upset the status quo. His day finally came with the Revolution of 1830, which saw the removal of conservative King Charles X and the appointment of the more liberal Louis-Philippe to the throne. Cabet's efforts during this time also earned him a swanky government job as attorney general for the island of Corsica. But this didn't stop him from voicing his displeasure toward other conservative branches of French government. After enough complaining, he was not only removed from his position, but also exiled to England. Still, he didn't let this setback stop him. While he resided in Britain, Cabet focused much of his work on political and economic study, which he channeled into a new novel. It was titled Voyage en Icarie and told the story of a fictional communal town called Icaria. In this place, everyone was equal. There was no monarchy, no feudal system, and no one persecuted anyone else for standing up for what they believed in. Icaria was a utopia. After his five years in exile, Cabet returned to France and had his story published. Much to his surprise, it became a huge success, and not just as a bestseller. Readers of Voyage en Icarie really connected with its message. It was a message that promised everyone's needs would be met and provided for, despite their current status. People wanted a real Icaria, where they could speak their minds without consequence and live truly free lives. Cabet hadn't just written an allegorical novel criticizing the current French government. He had crafted a blueprint for a utopian society, and readers wanted to live there. By 1843, the author claimed that there were at least 50,000 French citizens who believed in the promise of Icaria. Four years later, he published an article titled, Let Us Go to Icaria, with instructions on how to colonize a portion of America for that exact purpose. Cabet soon found the perfect spot to build his utopian vision. It resided across the pond in America, a place full of promise and possibility, the state of Texas. He secured a million acres of land there, and on February 3rd of 1843, almost 70 French citizens left home to start new lives in what would eventually become the Icaria of their dreams. They finally arrived in Texas in late March. Cabet had promised them a huge swath of land that was close to the Red River and fertile ground for growing crops. But once they got there, the early Icareans found that they had been duped. 
The land was actually 25 miles away from the Red River and measured nowhere near 1 million acres. They had only 3,000 acres on which to build their homesteads, all of it broken up into smaller tracts with plots owned by the state of Texas in between. Honestly, a map of the place looked kind of like a chessboard where the black squares were the Icarian-owned land and the white squares were not. More people continued to come over, though, but they soon realized that they just weren't cut out for utopian living. Cabet lost a number of followers who eventually returned to France, but some stuck it out, looking to make a go of it despite the odds against them. And their leader even managed to push the odds in their favor. He was in New Orleans when he came across a group of individuals who had fled their original home in Nauvoo, Illinois, due to threats of violence from the surrounding communities. This fledgling organization happened to be the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, also known as Mormons, and they were only too happy to sell their old land to Cabay for a paltry price. So he and his followers eventually left Texas and moved north to Illinois, where there were already homes built and waiting for them thanks to the former Mormon owners. Unfortunately, Icarians still had a huge problem. Despite being a communist utopia, Icaria required money to survive in an otherwise capitalist society. Tools and materials from outside had to be paid for. The struggle to survive as a communal enclave, surrounded by a diametrically opposed economic ideology, caused tension among the people. They began voicing their complaints out loud, to the point where Cabay became the very thing that he hated, a dictator. He forbade speaking ill of his efforts or of the community as a whole. He also outlawed things like tobacco and alcohol. Between the growing discord among his people and the fraud charges he was facing back home from former Icarians, it wasn't long before his utopian experiment collapsed. He was ousted from his role as head of the colony in 1856 and decided to set out on his own with a small group of loyal Icarians in tow. He died of a stroke a month later. But other members splintered off and settled down in Corning, Iowa, where they tried to build their ideal city of the future from the ground up. And they got close, but an increasingly younger demographic challenged the older established community members who didn't want to see certain changes, such as women getting the right to vote. By 1886, all traces of Icaria and its various factions had all but disappeared. To quote Nathaniel Hawthorne, Eager souls, mystics, and revolutionaries may propose to refashion the world in accordance with their dreams, but evil remains, and so long as it lurks in the secret places of the heart, utopia is only the shadow of a dream. This episode is sponsored by Intuit. Here's a story for you. Once upon a time, a young woman was haunted by the ghosts of bad financial decisions, with credit card debt and an empty savings account looming over her every day. But when she tried to ignore these ghosts, they only grew bigger and scarier. And these ghosts of her bad financial decisions were stopping her from living her best life. So she decided to face them head on and take control of her finances with help from Intuit. Intuit helps you face your financial fears with confidence through products like TurboTax, Credit Karma, QuickBooks, and MailChimp. Whether you're trying to manage your money or trying to run a business, Intuit gives you the confidence to take control of your finances so you can live your best life. Intuit is the financial platform that helps everyday people prosper. Intuit has helped 100 million people live their best financial lives. Visit Intuit.com, I-N-T-U-I-T.com to start living yours. Let's get 
into it. We all have that one friend or relative, the one who lingers a bit too long at holidays and gatherings, who consistently makes themselves the center of the drama. They're always around, and they're a bit more high-maintenance than everyone else. Harriet was a lot like that. She was born around 1830 on the island of Santa Cruz, but quickly made her way to the nearby island of Santa Maria off the coast of South America. She lived there for some time until a visitor from England arrived in 1835 aboard a research vessel named HMS Beagle. His name was Charles Darwin. You've probably heard of him. He had left England in 1831 on board the Beagle to study various flora and fauna throughout his travels. And he did all of that. Darwin was a naturalist, after all. He cataloged and studied a number of different species of plants and animals during that voyage. But then there was Harriet. Darwin met her on his first trip to the Galapagos Islands. She, along with two others, joined him on board the Beagle. Unfortunately, caring for Harriet and her two siblings became a bit too much, and they were eventually adopted by John Clements Wickham. Wickham had been the first lieutenant on the Beagle, serving under Fitzroy while Darwin was aboard. Wickham then became captain for a short time before retiring to Australia with Harriet and her two brothers, Tom and Dick. She resided with him in Brisbane at a place called Newstead House for the next 19 years. Then, in 1860, Wickham departed Australia to spend his final years in France. Tom, Dick, and Harriet, on the other hand, left Newstead House for the Botanic Gardens. Now, it's important to understand that paperwork concerning the movement of all the involved parties is pretty scarce. It's believed by some that Wickham could not have adopted Tom, Dick, and Harriet because he wasn't in England in 1841 to collect them. Others argue that he actually was there to get them, and then he took them to Australia. And Darwin's involvement has also been disputed, since he never actually set foot on the island where Harriet was born. But even though she was not native to any of the islands he visited, it's widely believed that he was in the right place at the right time. Harriet had found her way there, and she was chosen to accompany him on his journey. Either way, she lived at the Botanical Gardens until 1952, 70 years after the death of Charles Darwin. And during that time, she was mistaken for a boy and called Harry, named for Harry Oakman, the groundskeeper there at the Botanical Gardens. It wasn't until she moved to the Gold Coast when it was discovered that Harry was actually a female. From then on, she was called Harriet. By now, she was over 120 years old, and as I'm sure you can guess, she was not a person. Harriet, along with Tom and Dick, were tortoises, and the Gold Coast of Australia was home to Flay's Fauna Sanctuary, which would become her residence for the next 35 years. She made one last move in 1987 to the Australia Zoo's Queenland Reptile Park. The zoo was quite special, as its founders, Bob and Lynn Irwin, had a son who loved all kinds of animals. He grew up to be a voice for wildlife conservancy and education. Along with his wife Terry, Steve Irwin became known by his nickname, the Crocodile Hunter, and among the many creatures under his care at the zoo was Harriet. Harriet had a good life there. According to the Australia Zoo's website, she ate a regular diet of fresh vegetables and hibiscus flowers, and the Irwins considered her an honorary grandmother. She was beloved by both staff and visitors alike. Sadly, Harriet passed away on June 23rd of 2006 of heart failure, but she lived to the ripe old age of 176, and her legacy was just as wild as her. She was the only creature on Earth that had been roommates with both Charles Darwin and Steve Irwin. 
And to that I say, crikey. I hope you've enjoyed today's guided tour of the Cabinet of Curiosities. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or learn more about the show by visiting curiositiespodcast.com. This show was created by me, Aaron Mankey, in partnership with How Stuff Works. I make another award-winning show called Lore, which is a podcast, book series, and television show. And you can learn all about it over at theworldoflore.com. And until next time, stay curious. Thank you.